This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Between the Lines with the Administrative Conference of the United States on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now, your host, Andrew Foyce. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Between the Lines with the Administrative Conference of the United States. You're listening to the Federal News Network. My name is Andy Foyce. I am the chair of the Administrative Conference and your host for this show. Our producer today is Peter Musurlian. The Administrative Conference, commonly known as ACUS, is an independent federal agency, the mission of which is simply to help government work better. Now, of course, it's more complicated than that, but we focus our energies and through various means make recommendations on administrative procedure and agency processes. This episode will take us between the lines of an important issue for many people who are dealing with administrative agencies, and that is delays and backlogs that many agencies face, particularly in adjudication caseloads. For millions of Americans, these delays too often result in justice delayed being justice denied. Federal agencies adjudicate a variety of cases, including such things as applications for benefits, services, licenses, and permits, and enforcement actions against people who are suspected of violating the law. And people rely on the timely adjudication of these cases, and delays can have significant consequences. And we find that particularly true of traditionally underserved communities. To explore these problems and provide suggestions on how we can improve agency performance, we will hear from four expert guests. The first two are ACUS attorneys who conducted an in-depth research report last year that resulted in an official recommendation adopted by the ACUS Assembly. In our third segment, we will talk about that recommendation with the chair of the committee that developed it. And finally, the acting chair of a small agency will describe how that agency addressed its recent problem of what they call inherited inventory. So let's get to it. I'm pleased to welcome our first two guests who are both senior attorneys with ACUS. Jennifer Celine is an accomplished scholar and practitioner in law, political science, and public administration. Among many other publications, Jen has co-authored the ACUS Sourcebook of United States Executive Agencies. She most recently co-authored the report for ACUS entitled Improving Timeliness in Agency Adjudication that we will be discussing now. Thank you for being here, Jen. Thank you for having me. Also with us now is the co-author of that report, Jeremy Grayboys. Jeremy is the research director of ACUS and, among other duties, spearheads the agency's research agenda and work products. He's an active member of the ABA's administrative law section, for which he edited the third edition of its Guide to Federal Agency Adjudication last year. Before ACUS, Jeremy was an attorney with the Social Security Administration's Appeals Council. Jeremy, welcome to Between the Lines. Great to be here, Andy. Jeremy, let me start with you and at a very basic level. Uh, For purposes of your study, what is agency adjudication and how does it contrast with other things that agencies do? Sure, Andy. That's a great question. Agencies at their base are uh, creatures of statute. Congress decides to set up a federal program. It establishes an agency to carry out that program. Agencies do lots of different things to implement federal programs. They create general policies. We often call that rulemaking. They often engage in adjudication as well, which is the application of general policies to individuals. So when you apply for Social Security benefits, 
the Social Security Administration determines whether you're eligible for those benefits. Uh, when you apply for veterans benefits, you see the same thing at the Veterans Benefits Administration. Well, thank you, Jen. Let me turn to you. How should people and agencies determine what timely adjudication actually is? Well, as Jeremy's answer to the last question kind of hinted, it's really hard to define timeliness given the variation in the variety of agency programs that we look at with the report. And the average time that it takes to process a case really will necessarily vary depending on the procedural requirements and the substantive policy area that that adjudication takes place. Has um, timeliness been a consistent problem for administrative agencies over the years, or is it getting worse as the country gets bigger and the agencies grow, or are agencies getting better at uh, dealing with it? Jeremy, let me ask you that. I think yes to all of your questions, Andy. Um, One thing we wanted to do in this study was not just look at what agencies are confronting now, to look at what they've always confronted. Um, Agencies, when they're confronting issues of timeliness, are often reacting to a current backlog. But we know that historically agencies have uh, confronted backlogs for decades. So we looked at about a dozen agencies for uh, the study that we did that we're talking about today and looked at them, uh, in some cases, over uh, over a century. So I'll talk about just briefly the Social Security Administration, since that's what I'm most familiar with. But we looked at backlogs beginning as early as the mid-1950s, when the disability insurance program was first set up. Uh, So backlogs, delays, caseload surges have been a problem for administrative agencies for many decades. They come and they go, they increase, they decrease over time. We wanted to look at how have agencies dealt with this in the past and what tools have they used to um, address them? And why does it matter? Um, What is the big deal, so to speak, uh, how long it takes agencies to decide cases? Yeah, we often think about uh, the Social Security Administration, for example. Its job is to adjudicate claims for disability, or the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, might be charged with going after uh, polluters, um, which is part of it. But really, these are federal programs. Agencies are not set up to adjudicate. They are set up to deliver benefits, protect the environment. So when cases are delayed, that delays the receipt of benefits by somebody who deserves those benefits or needs those benefits to survive. In the environmental context, uh, delayed adjudication might impact an individual business owner's ability to conduct business. Um, It might affect the uh, health and well-being of local communities. So delayed adjudication has real-world effects beyond just delayed agency decision-making. Is it fair to say that sometimes administrative adjudication delay is uh, justice delayed, justice denied? I think that's exactly right, Andy. Um, Somebody who needs benefits to stave off hunger, for example, or obtain housing or clothing, if somebody can't access the benefits they need at a certain amount of time, that is justice delayed and that is probably justice denied. Jennifer, let's turn back to you. What factors would you say affect how quickly agencies can decide cases and what factors cause backlogs and and delays in that case processing? Well, uh, as a common theme to our discussion, the factors that affect timeliness are often varied because agencies' programs themselves are, are quite varied and complex. That said, A review of the literature on the subject and organizational studies more broadly, as well as our series of case studies over time, 
uh, did identify some common themes across all agencies related to what factors affect, um, say, backlogs and delays. And the first is program startup and jurisdictional expansion. So often in the planning of initially getting a program underway, there are some hiccups that then set everything behind schedule. Uh, the way that an agency is structured or a program is administered can also have effects on how timely the decision making is. A big one that we see across the entire federal government are resource levels, both in terms of the amount of money an agency has to dedicate towards decision making or the people that uh, an agency may hire, or even little things, not so little things, I guess, like information technology availability. In addition, agencies have to be very careful to maintain program integrity, and often this can result in a slowing of decision-making in order to preserve accuracy and fairness. And then finally, agencies have to adapt to changes in the external policy environment, and this adaptation process can also lead to some delays and backlogs. Okay, I see. Well, we have to take a break here for a minute. Uh, when we come back, we will look further into this ACUS report with uh, Jennifer and uh, Jeremy. You're listening to Between the Lines uh, with the Federal News Network. Stay with us. Welcome back, everyone, to Between the Lines on the Federal News Network. We are talking now with the authors of a report to ACUS on how to improve timeliness in agency adjudication. Um, I will turn now back to Jeremy uh, with the following. Aside from timeliness, Jeremy, what other things do agencies have to keep in mind and balance when they are deciding cases? Yeah, agencies can't just decide cases quickly. Um, timeliness is obviously an important value, but not the only value when it comes to what agencies do. You know, obviously a very quick decision could be made by you submit your application, somebody rubber stamps it, and you have a wait time of one or two seconds. I don't think anybody would consider that a great government process. So agencies have to juggle lots of different concerns. Uh, one is quality, uh, decisional quality, which could include values like accuracy. Is an individual decision factually and legally correct? Consistency. So we're looking at, you know, if you're looking at big government programs, you're looking at potentially millions of individual decisions made every year. Are they consistent? Um, do different adjudicators, you know, you may have tens of thousands of people making individual decisions. Are they finding facts in the same way? And are they reaching the same legal conclusions? We also have to look at efficiency, um, which might be something about time, but often it's something about money. Like all of us, agencies have limited resources. Congresses appropriate limited funds to agencies. Agencies have lots of complicated missions and have to decide internally how to spend their funds. Are we performing adjudication um, in a way that is uh, consistent with available resources? And Jen hinted at another value before um, in terms of program integrity. Uh, there's often concerns about fraud, waste, or abuse in government programs. Agencies certainly have to take those things into consideration as well. I should mention that agencies, while they have to keep this in mind, lots of external stakeholders, Congress, the White House, the media, members of the public, inspectors general, all have their own thoughts on what constitutes quality, efficiency, 
program integrity. And agencies have to have to think about all those things as they administer the programs that they're charged to uh, implement. So you raise some interesting points there. As these multiple decision makers are making multiple individual decisions in tens of thousands of cases, who is looking at uh, the bigger picture and, you know, and what tools do they use to figure out what the bigger picture is? It's complicated. Um, I, this can't be necessarily one individual, especially when you're dealing with something like the Social Security program. Uh, the Veterans Benefits Program, the Immigration System. These are massive systems. They're nationwide programs, offices nationwide, tens of thousands in some cases of people involved. There's no way that any one individual can have access to all information to juggle fairness, timeliness, efficiency, all these other concerns. Uh, and this is really what we get into in our, in our report. It has to, it's an organizational challenge. Obviously, there are senior agency leaders who have to be cognizant of all of these uh, competing values, um, but they need information. And that information has to come from lots of different sources spread across, in some cases, vast bureaucracies. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the strategies then that uh, policymakers and agencies use to try to speed up case processing while balancing the other factors they have to keep in mind and um, how uh, successful agencies in general have been at uh, reducing the backlogs and, and delays. And, and, you know, and, and let us know if it varies from agency to agency as well. Well, uh, consistent with uh, what Jeremy said, the agencies that have been most, most successful have recognized that this isn't a one-person or even one-unit problem in that for a successful agency to tackle issues of timeliness, you really have to think organizationally. And the thing that we have seen policymakers try to do that has been most successful in reducing case processing and backlogs is really quite obvious. It starts with communication. Agencies across the board have to benefit from communicating and learning about um, the process itself and and stakeholders experiences with adjudication and that information can be obtained through engagement with adjudicators within the agency and other personnel who are involved in the day-to-day -day work of adjudication as well as with external parties including those representatives who regularly practice before the agency or or represent the interests of those who do and so by collecting information and really understanding the problem, agencies have then been able to be successful in crafting different solutions to those problems. Now, those solutions obviously are going to vary because the agencies themselves will, will vary in their operations and performance. The things that agencies have to be aware of is that, that the responses to timeliness can often be cyclical in that an agency will identify that there is a problem, rush to solve it, but then maybe let go of one of the other important principles such as fairness or integrity. And then in a response to letting go of these fairness and integrity principles, then the agency will back off, slow down decision-making, prioritize fairness and integrity, and then we all of a sudden see 
a backlog start to develop and timeliness issues arise again. So that's been a consistent theme across all agencies and something that agencies must be aware of if they're crafting their solutions to timeliness. Okay, staying with you, Jen, were, were you able to identify common themes or uh, best practices across agencies that have successfully managed uh, concerns about timeliness? Yes, we broke down solutions into five stages that are applicable to all agencies. And the first, as as I hinted at, is just understanding the problem, getting a full understanding of the foundational causes of backlogs and delays in agency, as well as potential solutions and their effectiveness, and then evaluating those potential solutions and effectiveness before actually jumping in is really important. And this requires regular data collection, um, including feedback from those who are affected by the agency's adjudicative process. Once an agency has understood the problem, the next is to develop a plan to tackle it. And comprehensive strategic planning is really important and to do it in a way that engages employees at all levels of the agency and fully considers the costs and the benefits and the implications of all available options to address timeliness before selecting the procedures that are going to be most successful for that particular agency. Once the agency has developed a plan, the next stage is to efficiently and effectively allocate its resources. As we've hinted throughout this conversation, agencies do suffer from limited resources. They can't do everything that they want. And so being really efficient about the use of those resources is quite important. And then finally, we have to use unambiguous and consistent communication of agency policies at all level of the agency and to the public. And that allows the agency to establish clear objectives and a framework for implementation and leaves room for the agency to receive feedback and potentially be open to new ideas as timeliness issues arise. And then I'd also just like to say the agency has to take full advantage of advances in technology and limit reliance on paper-based resources. We live in an information technology-rich world, and agencies really need to adapt to that new world. Uh, Let's look a little bit deeper at technology. And Jeremy, let me turn to you. A previous episode of Between the Lines talked about how um, new technologies and algorithmic uh, tools, including uh, artificial intelligence, can be used by federal agencies What are they doing and how successful are are they at using uh, those new emerging technologies in adjudication and to to, uh, make a dent in the the backlog? Agencies are doing a ton of work um, with new technologies. I think it's important to emphasize here that you see this pattern play out um, going back a century, frankly. Um, You know, when the Social Security Administration was first set up in the 30s and charged with collecting earnings information um, for every um, potential uh, recipient, any, anybody who is part of the social security system, uh, they look to punch card technology and tabulating machines. And talking about these things now may seem quaint, um, but innovations in technology that we now take for granted have been critical um, in, in improving agency operations and in improving timeliness in agency adjudication. So looking back, you see innovations in desktop or personal computing, in the use of email, in the use of intranet uh, networks. All these sorts of things that we take for granted now 
have been really critical um, to improving timeliness over time. So what are we seeing today? Uh, you hinted at algorithmic tools, uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence. That's certainly something on the horizon. Um, but really, I think what you're seeing is a couple of uh, common themes in agency technology use that have had really big impacts on how agencies adjudicate cases. Uh, one, as Jen said, is this move towards digitization. Traditionally, cases were big paper files moved around from office to office, person to person, could be viewed by one person at a time. Uh, no information about those cases was available to any other person in the agency at that moment. Uh, we've seen a huge shift in the last 20 years, um, and at many agencies really as a result of the pandemic, uh, to uh, uh, digital files, uh, electronic files. You've also seen a move towards, uh, related to that, a move towards what we at ACUS have referred to as online processes. Members of the public can actually interact with the agency electronically over the internet, uh, submitting records, um, which speeds up the process. Traditionally, if I'm a party, I would like to submit records. I have to create paper copies of those records, mail them. They have to be processed in a mail room. They have to be scanned in or associated with a file in some way. Each of those steps can delay processing. Now I can log in, upload a PDF. It's immediately added to my file. That saves time. Uh, so you see a lot around that. Um, increasingly, you see agencies uh, using uh, automation uh, to simplify review of complicated case records. When you're talking about something like a disability application, a black lung benefits application, you could be talking about a case file of thousands of pages, hundreds at least, of medical evidence. It would take any human a long time to sift through all that. Uh, not that you don't want human eyes on much of that documentation, but if you can use uh, new technologies to pull out key bits of information and flag them for human decision makers, that's huge. On the, uh, the back end, in terms of actually managing agency operations, uh, agency leaders now have access to infinitely more uh, management information. Where wow. are cases in the system? How are cases um, how are cases being processed? Where are they in the system? All those sorts of things, which is a uh, major boon to agencies in collecting data and figuring out solutions. Well, there's a lot of potential there, Jeremy. Uh, that's great to hear. It's very encouraging for the system. Uh, I'm afraid that's all the time we have right now. We could uh, talk about uh, your report and your study for for much longer, but we're going to move on to uh, the chairman of the committee that helped develop the recommendations based on your reports and uh, then uh, the chair of an agency that's had some experience with it. So thank you both for this comprehensive summary and, uh, and deep dive down into your report. You're listening to Between the Lines uh, with the Federal News Network. Stay right there. More to come. Welcome back, everyone. This is Between the Lines with the Administrative Conference on the Federal News Network. I remain your host, Andy Foyce, chairman of the uh, Administrative Conference. And we are talking today uh, about justice denied because justice is too often delayed by administrative agencies. With us now to discuss some action that ACUS has taken in this area is the Honorable Ray Lamone. He's a member of the Merit Systems Protection Board. And Ray has had a very distinguished career in public service, focusing on employment law and human resources, and he also served in the Peace Corps in Honduras. 
He's a member of ACUS and served last year as the chair of our special ad hoc committee on improving timeliness in agency adjudication. That committee produced a comprehensive recommendation with proposals for agencies and Congress to address the timeliness issue. Ray, thank you for being here, and thank you for your leadership on this issue. Thank you, Andy, for inviting me. Uh, Let me start off um, with uh, the big picture, Ray. How would you describe the major goals of the recommendation as a whole, and uh, to what audience is it directed? Well, let me answer the the second part of that question first. I think the audience is our public. Uh, The many people who come before the different administrative bodies in the government to seek redress or some level of services or benefits, and they just want to have an honest broker, an independent place to hear their case, And these uh, adjudications across the government allow for that to happen. So it was an honor to be part of this working group made up of people from different agencies and different backgrounds to come together with some best practices related to how to improve timeliness, right, with adjudications. And as anybody who's gone through working with maybe a kitchen remodel or getting a new car transmission, you know, they're going to say part of that project triangle is time cost and quality. Pick one or two because nobody gets all three. And yet, as a federal entity, we're required to provide all three in these adjudications. We want it timely, we want it quality, and we want to have it at the the fastest possible time uh, without compensating on anything related to our our values when we want to have our hearings. We want to make sure they're transparent, they're consistent, uh, customer service driven with equitable treatment. So versus the private sector, the public sector is required to do all three. It's a challenge, but we have amazing people across the federal government who make these adjudications happen on a daily basis. And it was great for us to come together, kick the tires, see where we can uh, look to improve uh, in the areas of timeliness. Well, thanks very much for uh, the shout out to the members of the uh, Special Ad Hoc Committee, because um, in addition to your leadership, and and we had a fantastic chair, uh, the members of the the committee were just uh, of the top quality and and really worked hard. And they're all volunteers, as as just about everyone is at ACUS. So we're very grateful to all of them. Um, Let's talk about data. Uh, Having valuable data Uh, reliable data, I should say, about what agencies are facing regarding uh, the timeliness of adjudication is a big part of the challenge to uh, how they can improve. So what does the recommendation say about information collection? A great question. And there are four primary uh, themes related to reliable data, and that is communicate, measure, collaborate, and evaluate. And I think those four themes you will see Uh, play a big role when you go throughout the entire recommendation. But definitely a reliability of data, right? If if you can't measure it, it doesn't get done. So as you know, there are many steps involved in which we engage with the public on doing adjudications. And so that has to be mapped out very carefully. And then uh, agencies need to capture the data behind that. Uh, For instance, uh, when does a a member of the public make contact with an agency to file the initial case. And then what happens kind of behind the scenes, you know, once it comes within the agency, who touches it first and how long should they look at it before it moves to the next step? 
So reliability of data is very critical. In order for us to evaluate that data, for instance, we should be checking how many adjudications are taking place in that agency. Uh, does that data capture the status of, of where cases ultimately are? And ultimately, when they do get published, are we tracking that data? So there are many ways throughout this entire process to collect the data. And this is a uh, part of our recommendation is to remind agencies that perhaps it's a good time to go back, look at those touch points and see, are you uh, tracking the right data for what you need when you make your projections and, and you know, moving out on uh, the adju overall adjudication of your cases? Of course, having employee buy-in uh, to the effort to reduce backlogs is essential. What should um, Congress and agencies do regarding employee, employee performance goals and standards? Well, we were very mindful of one size does not fit all. You know, there are dozens and dozens of agencies that have a role in doing adjudications, and they have different statutes and responsibilities. Some are quasi-independent. Some are uh, more aligned with their overall agency's goals. So what we've asked agencies to do is to uh, go back to their strategic goals and look how they cascade down to the individual employee unit uh, to make sure that the expectations around performance are very clear, that the standards are uh, easy to understand, and that they are objective and reasonable. Now, being a former chief human capital officer, those are uh, uh, kind of critical points in any performance management system. But we want to remind agencies that uh, when it comes to the adjudication of the cases, all the different players that have a role in moving those uh, cases through the system, that there's consistency throughout the process so everybody can understand what role they have in meeting the agency's goals and, and making sure that that performance is accurately tracked and captured. What about um, organization and procedures? Uh, what are some of the best practices that the uh, recommendation suggested for those two areas? Yeah, I think that kind of uh, builds upon that idea about uh, agencies' strategic goals and how they cascade down to your operational roles. So when we look at uh, different agencies and what they're trying to accomplish, is it clear, do they have communication protocols in place uh, with the public and with the different parts, even within an organization, that everybody understands how these cases are going to move through the system? Uh, what type of information can be provided in advance to the parties. So it's setting clear expectations. Once you trigger a case and it's moving through the system, there are no latent surprises in which that could have been cured uh, with advanced communication before uh, the um, uh, member or the, the public uh, individual started uh, throughout the process. And then identifying all the key players uh, again, going back to um, uh, the touchstones with, within the uh, adjudication process, that do they understand their roles? And uh, is it clear to them what they're supposed to do once they have that information? Uh, another thing that agencies can be mindful of is reviewing the types of cases that are coming in. And, and uh, for example, perhaps uh, uh, the agency can aggregate 
some of those cases and assign them to a part of the organization that specializes in hearing those kinds of issues. It could be, for instance, a jurisdictional matter that perhaps it could be resolved earlier in the process. It could also be targeted for uh, alternative dispute resolution or settlement. That information as it comes through could be aggregated and sent to uh, the appropriate part of the organization. And then similarly, if a case comes in that uh, requires a high degree of review, uh, very complex legal issues, perhaps that could be assigned to more of a tiger team approach with people who have expertise in that subject matter uh, legal area. So there are a lot of things that agencies can do early in the process to make sure that uh, as to identify issues and individuals in an organization on who should hear those cases. Real quick, Ray, we just got about 30 seconds left. What can you say about strategic planning and the recommendation? Well, again, going back to uh, communicate early and often, everybody should uh, know within your organization what are your strategic goals and, and requirements. And that's how you start the process. And then at the back end, as I talk about, um, after we measure it and we collaborate with the different organizations that help us, uh, that could be, again, I, I do not want to undersell the role of IT, uh, the budget, and HR. Those are uh, strong operational partners to make sure that uh, agency adjudicators uh, can uh, met out their responsibilities effectively and efficiently. But at the end, then to evaluate uh, the progress that you're making against your stated goals. So that kind of um, loop, uh, feedback loop is put in place. And that, again, ties back to your strategic goals and, and where, uh, what success looks like and what, and what you're doing to accomplish your goals. Well, thank you so much, Ray, for that um, discussion of the ACUS recommendation on how to improve timeliness of agency adjudication. When we get back, we'll be joined by one of Ray's colleagues, the acting chair of the um, Merit Systems Protection Board, Kathy Harris, to talk about her agency's experience with adjudication background and delays. Stay right there, everybody. Welcome back, everyone, to Between the Lines with the Administrative Conference. You're listening to the Federal News Network, and we're joined now by the acting chair of the MSPB to discuss her agency's experience with the problem of justice delayed and justice denied. The Honorable Kathy Harris was confirmed to the MSPB about a year and a half ago, and she was quickly made the vice chair and is now currently the acting chair. She, um, uh, like Ray, has extensive experience in um, employment law. Uh, hers is mostly in private practice. There is something in her background that I, I just can't uh, avoid mentioning because uh, I think it's of particular merit, um, and it's that in, in law school, she received an award for the student who most successfully maintained her compassion, vitality, and humanity during the course of, of law school. And, and anyone who has gone to law school or who knows a lawyer knows how hard that is to do. Uh, so, Kathy, congratulations on that. And uh, I'm very pleased to welcome you to Between the Lines. Thank you so much. Law school was a long time ago, so hopefully I've continued to maintain my humanity. <laughs> I'm sure you have. 
Uh, let's talk about the MSPB and your uh, your job uh, for a minute. I'm not sure that all of our listeners are familiar with uh, your agency. Could you tell us a little bit about what uh, what it does and what, what your role is? Yes. We are the guardian of the federal merit systems. We protect against partisan political influence and other prohibited personnel practices. In part, we fulfill our mission by adjudicating federal employee appeals over which we've been given jurisdiction. We also conduct studies regarding the merit systems. As the acting chair, I'm the chief executive officer of the agency and one of three members of our board. Talk a little bit about the kind of adjudications um, that specifically that uh, the agency handles. Sure. Some of our cases involve more serious disciplinary actions, ranging from suspensions of more than 14 days to removal, whistleblower retaliation cases, hatch act cases, violations of statutes protecting veterans and active service members in their civilian federal employment, retirement cases, and more. We adjudicate cases at two levels, the initial appeal level, which are heard uh, by one of approximately 65 administrative judges located around the country in our regional and field offices, and at the appellate level, heard by our board members at headquarters in Washington, D.C. I'm one of the board members, and I serve as the acting chair. And many small boards and agencies like yours are uh, often prevented from performing their responsibilities because they just don't have a quorum of uh, confirmed members uh, allowing them to take action. Uh, That happened to you not too long ago. Can you tell us about that? Yes. We were without a quorum for about five years. We lost the quorum in January 2017. We need at least two board members to have a quorum. The quorum was restored when the Senate confirmed Tristan Levitt and Raymond Lamone in March 2022. I joined them in June 2022 when I was confirmed as a third board member. So we went about five years with no quorum. Tristan Levitt left at the end of his term, so we're down to two board members, but we still have a quorum. We're awaiting confirmation of a nominee who's currently before the Senate for the third seat. That's Henry Kerner. So what happened to your uh, your buildup and your backlog of uh, adjudications uh, during that time? Well, we were still able to adjudicate cases at the initial appeal level, which are range about 5,000 per year. But when parties appealed those cases to the board level, they were unable to be decided. So that left us with an inherited inventory of approximately 3,800 cases when the board's quorum was restored. And uh, did you use um, any specific techniques to get up to speed and and deal with that uh, inherited inventory? Yes. Uh, As I like to say, during the lack of quorum, our staff was not sitting around eating bonbons. Mm -hmm. They were hard at work. Our Office of Appeals Council, which has about 30 employees, were busy drafting decisions for the board members to consider once the quorum was restored. We also took that time to transition the board from paper-based review to almost entirely electronic review. They developed an online voting app that enabled us to vote electronically and also from home to help support pandemic operations and now our hybrid working environment. We also triaged the decisions to front load issuance of our precedential decisions 
so that it would then be easier to issue non-precedential decisions that followed from them. We also prioritized issuance of certain types of cases, for example, those that awarded back pay, settlements, withdrawals, remands, and others. I see. And and have you continued uh, using these processes uh, today, and are they proving to be effective as uh, new cases come in? Yeah, I think we're killing it. We've uh, adjudicated since the quorum was restored. We've decided over 2,000 cases at the headquarters level, and we have about 47% left of the inherited inventory. I heard Vice Chair or Member Lamone talk about setting performance goals. We did that for our employees. So we set a goal to adjudicate at least 1,000 cases at the headquarters level, 750 of which which, uh, were our oldest cases. We exceeded that goal by about 50%. Would you recommend any of these um, techniques and processes to other agencies for them to adopt to uh, address their backlogs? Yes. I think particularly when there's a loss of quorum, agencies need to create a plan to ensure systems are ready to roll once the quorum's restored. Our folks did that really well. Uh, One of the other techniques we used is we created a case update working group. So uh, to make sure our cases were up to date and ready to go in terms of developments in the law that occurred during the loss of quorum. Um, The last thing I want to say about it is you know, it's really important to balance the quest for timeliness with the need for quality. We want to meet our mission to serve our constituencies and protect the merit systems. We want to get these decisions right. So in trying to ensure timeliness and catch up with our inherited inventory, we don't want to forget about the ultimate mission of doing justice. Of course, that balance is uh, critical um, and you have to hit the sweet spot. All right. Finally, last question. Uh, in listening to your colleague, uh, Ray Lamone, anything that you heard him talk about in the ACUS recommendation that you think might be promising, something that you could use or would recommend to other agencies? We do most of what is in those recommendations, probably because Ray was copying what we do already. No, just kidding. But um, <laughs> I think I think we're doing really well. We collect a lot of data. Um, Our new e-appeal system is enabling us to collect data in an even more robust way uh, than we had before. So I'm looking forward to seeing how we can use data to improve our efficiencies. Well, thank you very much, Kathy, for sharing the experiences and the successes of MSPB in overcoming its administrative uh, backlogs or uh, more precisely inherited inventory. That's our show for now, everyone. We will continue to take you between the lines of important issues of administrative law and agency procedures in coming episodes. Go to acus.gov for more information about us and about the recommendations we've been discussing today. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I hope we pass the audition. You've been listening to Between the Lines with the Administrative Conference of the United States on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and all of our past episodes anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.